Hey, it's Bill Simmons from The Ringer, and this is a podcast called The Rewatchables. We have been doing it really since 2017. It started with how much we love the movie Heat. We decided to structure a whole podcast with categories, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie, Apex Mountain, what age the best. But here's the thing. If you want the full archive, you can hear them only on Spotify for free, by the way. So make sure to follow The Rewatchables on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Now. Hello, and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com, and joining me in the studio, where every meal is girl dinner, it's Andy Greenwald! You you mentioned dinner. We've got a full, a groaning table, actually, <laughs> of wonderful dishes. Yeah. Snacks, really. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, I'm really excited for the show. What today. is it? The British call it picky bits. Apparently. That's made up. And then the New York Times did a trend piece recently. Mm -hmm. This is what we're referring to about, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, girl dinner. Right. Which came out of uh, two women having a hot girl summer walk. Okay. And identifying that women really like eating, like just snacking for a meal. Does Jonah Hill approve of that? (laughs) I I don't know. Okay. And, uh, you know, and I was just blown away by this trend piece. Tell me why. Because I don't know why this has to be gendered. I love... Small bits. Well, I, I think this. it was like very specific to like my wife, if I may personalize this, immediately mm-hmm. said this is accurate. And when you're not here mm-hmm. demanding, you know, a protein, two veg, and a starch, you know, I guess what I whatever I do. <laughs> Are you a meat and two sides guy? Like do you She's when like, you This come, is how I eat. It's like a come, block of cheddar. Yeah. You know, a couple of olives, you know. But not you. When no. you come home from a podcast, you take a tray and you go down the steam <laughs> That's table. Right. That Phoebe has lovingly prepared for when you. When I go back to my, my bunk at San Quentin, <laughs> where Bill puts me up. <laughs> but like, like I'm, Kaya, can you weigh in on this, please? Oh, I'd love to. What, t- what, We're also going to talk about the Emmys and the stage television. We have so much to talk about. There's a Jones. double strike town. But please, let's use this moment to talk about You, well, you said, bits. let's talk about it. I started talking about it, and now you're like, oh my God, we got to get to the labor disagreements. Well, I just, oh, no, let's, Kaya, please. Yeah, girl dinner. I love it. It's real, right? But it's do you, real. But yeah. do you feel like when you saw this in the New York Times, the paper of record, were you like, I feel seen, this is an important trend piece? Or is this yeah. non-controversial? Well, when I saw the TikToks that were about this like a couple weeks ago. Before TikTok's the- <laughs> a website, right? I just want to be clear. Yeah. Yes, I was like, yes, I feel seen. Yeah. If Yeah, I mean, if I could, like I, I live with a boy and... Oh. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but if, if you could, but you wait, would just snack for life. In your home, mm-hmm. girl dinner, if it was just you alone, mm-hmm. you would maybe some, some some tin fish, a little salad. What uh, you, Jose Andres, no, no, no. tin s- fish? People fucking love tin See, fish. a salad is too much work because a salad would require like probably some chopping or some like washing of vegetables. So it's going to be like or dressing. some Gouda mm-hmm. cheese. Mm-hmm. I literally did this the other night. Um, some chips and hummus, tortilla chips mm. and hummus. That sounds nice. You need to get something sweet in there. So you're going to probably want some like kind of fruit. So like some cherries or like maybe. Just like a dollop of honey. Yeah, sure. It could be like maybe like wow. a cracker with like a smear of cheese and then like a little like jam on a, top. A cracker? Yeah. How many it, girl dinners consecutively <laughs> until you're full? Like, is each bite its, a, it's, its a own? It's a night-long process. Yes. It's like an— It's grazing. Yeah. Yes. yes. What yeah. is a boy dinner in your household? A boy—a a protein, some veg, definitely some green stuff on the plate. Yeah. But, but I guess what I mean is, is it is it this what happens when in a, you know, a, a, a boy-girl household or a, what the boy leaves the household, mm-hmm. this is what the girl will eat? Yes. If the girl leaves the household, what will the boy eat? Well, speaking from personal experience, my boy will fire up the grill and like fully grill himself like a steak. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's just too much work yeah. for me. He will just do a steak for one? Yeah. Yes. yes. There's, well, tons what are you, yeah. there's tons of YouTube videos about steaks for one. It's about, it's about like, you know, taking care of yourself. I'll tell you what boy dinner really is. I, okay. It's opening up a can of Modelo. Yes. <laughs> And then finishing it, yeah, getting like halfway through. Then being like, you know what, this has diminishing returns. I'm going to open up my second one because it's always that first sip, right? Then for me, what do I do? I usually get Chinese food. I usually order takeout. That's guy dinner. All right, for me, yeah. I don't. I'm not. I'm not. I. I think the idea is to come up with a guy aesthetic for the grazing tray that Kai is describing, right? But like, I don't have like the. You know, I don't have the salt, fat, acid, heat component. I, like, you know, what I do is I get a bunch of novelty turkey legs, like the giant ones, <laughs> yeah. and I throw them in the freezer. <laughs> and then you eat them frozen. And or then you I, I, them out? they're just like protein popsicles when they're ready. No, I feel like I combine the aesthetics of both of these things. Yes, yeah. you know, because I, I, but I will cook for one. Yeah, me I too. enjoy cooking for one. Yeah. But I will cook like, like mac and cheese with sour cream. No, and no. Herbs. I'll see whatever's in the fridge. Like I'll take leftovers and I'll usually combine them with vegetables yeah. and some garlic. My actual, my truthful move is to take what's in the fridge and just make a taco out of it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, whatever I can do. Okay. Does the taco always have like the most loving tribute to like Oaxacan culture? No, it's often just like the macaroni and cheese yeah, in the taco. Exactly. exactly. Wow. Okay. Andy, I don't know why we're wasting time talking about girl dinner. I don't feel my time's wasted. I just feel like I need to process some of this and then have six to seven girl dinners and then we can resume. Okay. Uh, a lot is going on in this town. Yeah. Hashtag this league. We've got a double strike on the horizon. Yeah, as, as, by the time people hear this, it probably will be a double strike between SAG and, and WGA. Oh, it's not between us. Well, both of those yeah. entities being on a strike against the studios. Yeah. And, uh, and let me just say, I'm so relieved that the, the pressure I've been feeling of being one of the hottest people you, on the picket lines. Why do you keep making this joke? Or do you want me to say, no, Andy, you're, you're a beautiful man? No, I just feel I like that's a good... I mistake you for an actor all the time. That's a good joke, I think. <laughs> and also, everyone, everyone on the line yesterday was like, now we'll get more um, catering trucks. Because <laughs> George Clooney will be like, here's some, yeah. some tacos. Right. The Casamigos uh, Express is coming through. I, um... Yeah, so we talked a little bit about this. Um, I am really 
it, it started to seem like a done deal, like this was going to happen mm-hmm. over the last few days. But I think up until Monday, I was still a little bit skeptical that this would actually happen. And as someone who has been on strike for a number of weeks, I'm really thrilled. I think it's I think it's fantastic for the actors to draw a line in the sand and to stand up to the way the AMPTP has been behaving. Mm-hmm. I think it is absolutely beneficial to both groups that we are now um, both out and can negotiate from a better position. The crazy things this week that people may have been following was Monday seems to be the day that everyone in hashtag this town woke up and realized this was real. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of assumption that this would just follow a typical playbook and everything would fall the way the AMTP wanted, which was to AMTP continue, being the coalition of these the conglomerate studios. of studios and streamers that basically they would get the directors to fold, check that the actors would come into line and then the writers would continue to be ostracized and be treated as outliers who are screwing this up for everyone. That is not the case um, from everything that I understand and I am not privy to the conversations. The AMPTP continues to just be basically contemptuous about the idea of talking about AI in any substantive way. Um, And the actor said no. And on Monday, when it was clear that they were not going to extend the deadline, all of a sudden we found these like rugged individualist capitalist people in charge of these studios being like, feds, please help. Please come help with these unreasonable people. We saw them starting to say that there was just sort of a a, a, a fractious minority that was running things Mm -hmm. when the fractious minority, I guess, includes, you know, real flamethrowers like Meryl Streep who signed the letter yeah. that said that you need to take this seriously. You saw like the biggest of big wigs like Ari Emanuel and Brian Lord from um, WME and CAA being like, why don't we get involved? Yeah, and bring in a federal mediator to try and, yeah. Right, and then also part and parcel to this was just some real wild releasing of the dogs that so I feel I like was out of... So I wanted to ask you about this. There was yeah. a deadline article, I think it was Monday as well, and this really like, in terms of if you were reading like industry Twitter WGA Twitter, mm-hmm. like just in general, like if, if you were looking at like social media that night, mm-hmm. there was an article on Deadline that quoted a, I think a variety of anonymous sources within yes. the industry. Some were studio executives or uh, some were people close to negotiations on the studio side. And uh, I will throw a theory at you. So like just here's a garden variety quote from this article. It was, Quote, the end game is to allow things to drag on until union members start losing their apartments and losing their houses, a mm-hmm. studio executive told Deadline. Acknowledging the cold as ice approach, several other sources reiterated the statement. One insider called it a cruel but necessary evil. Now, uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a 3D chess, 4D chess thing. Mm-hmm. On one hand, I think this is just kind of where we are post-2016, where everything is anonymous sources and in that kind of obscurity people get to make um, maybe more extreme points or threaten and saber rattle in a way that they wouldn't if they had to put their name on it. On another hand, I cannot see a world in which this article and deadline benefits anybody but the labor side, right? right? Like Because you just immediately, anybody with, frankly, like a soul comes out being like, what fucking ghouls? Like, I hope that they, WGA and SAG get everything that they want. Well, the AMPTP has fucked up. Yeah. Their job is to make a deal. They have failed two out of the three times and failed preposterously and catastrophically, and it's going to have a huge effect on the industry. So they screwed up. It's also worth noting that when you talk about like industry stuff, you know, I, I enjoy a lot of the writers and I enjoy a lot of the coverage from Hollywood Reporter and Variety and Deadline. They share an owner, Jay Penske, mm-hmm. uh, who is on the AMPTP. Mm. It is widely, you know, among WGA and, and SAG members and probably DGA members those trades are considered broadly pro-AMPTP. 
Okay. I don't know if that's accurate is or not. Is there a pro labor trade? I think it's Blue Sky, which I've just <laughs> been told about, and I won't be joining. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, they, that there are talented journalists at those outlets who would resent that implication that they are on one side or another, and I don't mean to tar them with that brush. That is the impression when yeah. these articles, that often they are carrying... It's the same wa- thing with the ringer and the, the Boston sports mafia. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's... <laughs> Because the thing is, I, I'm still... An unfair characterization. It's unfair. I just nonetheless persists, possibly because <laughs> you perpetuate. I'm just a guy curious how Damian Lillard could get to the Celtics. And if there were two to six podcasts that might explain that to me, I'd be interested. So I, uh, I am the problem. Um, all of this is to say, it is 100% in keeping with the AMPTP's playbook to try to sow division within the guilds, mm-hmm. within the WGA. It is absolutely part of their playbook to drag this on until what they perceive to be the more vulnerable members of the guild uh, cannot afford to keep going. And they begin to bring their frustrations and concerns to the people on the negotiating committee or to the more or to the louder voices of famous showrunners or whomever and basically force leadership of the guild back to the table early. That's part of the playbook. Right. I don't think it was part of the playbook to just basically pull out a howitzer and start shooting off strays like that on Monday. Right. Everything that happened Monday from wanting to bring in the Fed federal negotiator to uh, the agents getting involved to that article was, to me, panic. It was pure panic. And it was uncharacteristic, at least in my reading of the negotiations or the whatever the situation so far in that the studio side had been pretty sphinx-like. Up to a point, you know. Yeah, they weren't commenting. They, in fact, were not doing any counter narrative. They were seemingly very content to be the villains and just to get their way, just to be present. To basically, the the choice they made was to be: we're professional deal makers. We're going to get back to the table. Now, it's fine. People keep asking me, like, sir, sir. How have things been going in the strike? I'm like, we got ice cream sandwiches and coolers. You've got like now. a carrot stick and some hummus, and you're just like dandy. You're like, <laughs> I'm very full with this. Trust yeah. me, I just prefer to graze. No, I mean there have been no negotiations. There right. have been none since this talks broke off on May first. There have been no negotiations, and that is also a choice. So, um, that was a wild day. And to your point, yeah, it absolutely. It was fear-mongering, but it backfired for a number of reasons. I th- you know, I was out at Disney yesterday, and there were more people than there were there a few weeks ago, right. probably in response to this, also probably in anticipation of the actors. And I also just think it's continued evidence of the complete disconnection from the business that these people have created, where I think to them, suggesting that professional writers might lose their apartments eventually. And it's just like, guys... There are people with credits on shows that were nominated for Emmys this week who have already lost their apartments and homes before right. we called the strike because you have created an industry where you cannot make rent over a 12-month period. Right. That's, that's old news. Find a new slant. Like, people understand how precarious this is, and that's why these strikes are happening now. Yeah, there was a moment on Monday when I was like, you know what, this feels like almost a reverse engineered ways to galvanize exactly the kind of thing you're talking about, which is like an increased even turnout on the picket line. Mm-hmm. Like this deadline article just felt almost, uh, it, for lack of a better phrase, too good to be true. Like it was too evil to it, be true. I also do, I think there's credence to that. I think that people, good faith people who want a deal done on the other side are not happy about articles like that. Sure. And and it's some studio heads and people went out of, out of their way to make comments saying like, this does not represent any of my views or I don't know who these people are, but... But yeah, but 
Yep. Today. Yep. Bob Iger, the extended CEO of Disney, mm-hmm. who re- re-signed for another two years, he went on CNBC live from Sun Valley, which is, I, I wish I was there with you, Bobby, but you know, like it was uh, at the, whatever the- You ever been to Sun Valley? Uh, never been to Idaho at all. No. I always there. wanted to see Boise State's- Blue, fe- Blue, Blue Field? Blue Field, yeah. It's nice. I, I always found that, oh, you did spend a lot of yeah. time in Idaho. That's right. Sure did. That's right. What's Sun Valley like? Nice in the summer. Yeah. Not a big fan in the winter. <laughs> Not a big fan of the winter. Uh, so Bobby was in Sun Valley. Uh, he gives this interview, and it's a pretty fascinating look at the state of the company and the state of the industry. Among other things, he talks about uh, D- Disney beginning to think about unwinding its position on broadcast television, which would obviously— That it might not be a core business Yeah, that, uh, mm-hmm. that would obviously include ABC and ESPN, and there's often been rumors that ESPN could be spun off. He also talked about the state of corporate IP storytelling, especially with regards to Marvel and Star Wars, and that Marvel it's especially had overextended itself and gone from zero to 60 in the television business and that they were going to pull back. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the actual phrase he used, but it was something basically like he was like, base, it was just an amazing like kind of like dovetail of these shows aren't good and they cost too much. So to save money and to rebuild the brand, we're just going to pull back. So. Mm-hmm. I think we're you know we're in mid secret invasion. As listeners can probably tell, we have abandoned our we have abandoned our yeah, child. I don't care. Uh, we've abandoned our boy. I honestly get bored reading the recaps, and those take like two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know when we'll return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, especially on the small screen. Uh, so yeah, Bob Iger addressed that. But on the bigger end, on the more important end, more germane end, he addressed the strike, mm-hmm. and he talked about how. Essentially, this was like the wrong time for this all to be happening, coming yeah. out of COVID. And that they, the other side was being unreasonable, mm-hmm. uh, more or less. You know, he's got to say these things, I guess. But I found the tone and position that he was taking to be less than conciliatory. Now, maybe that's, you have to start from an aggressive place when you're negotiating. Well, I don't know what these guys Also, are I think that rich men get mad when they don't get what they want. I mean, I think that's genuine. Yeah. I think that they're yeah. mad. Yeah. This was supposed to be easy. I will say as a caveat, like from everything that I know from people who have worked with him and around him, Bob Iger is one of the few executives who knows what business he's primarily in, who does believe in creative, empowering creative people when it, you know, when it suits the company's bottom line, but broadly has empowered good people and has supported good things. Um, that seems to be the overall uh, impression of him. I also will say that his continued seat at the table is insane to me and also part of the larger cultural rot that I'm concerned about that we're going to talk about later in the podcast when we reflect on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yeah. Which is to say, like, everybody knows this. Like, he had one of the most legendary runs of CEO-dom in history. And this idea that only I can fix it is a real problem in just all avenues of American life. And it is bizarre that even though he's done, you know, I you know, I listen to the town and you hear Matt and Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg talking about like these are wins on a corporate level, which sure. I don't fully understand, but I think they're probably accurate in their assessment of it in terms of things that he's unwound that Chapek did or but what's bizarre to me about it is he's cleaning up his own messes, which draws attention to the messes that he made. Instead of being lionized for buying Marvel and buying Lucasfilm, he is now actually having to deal with the fact that. Marvel is in enormous creative decline and has been diluted. That Lucasfilm, 
is a disaster, frankly, mm-hmm. in terms of its creative output and what they've gotten back from the deal and the decision makings behind it. And he's has to be the one standing up and speaking to all that. Yeah. Now, in terms of things be, this being an unreasonable time, I, I, I guess um, sad face emoji is my response. <laughs> he's getting paid $27 million a year. Um, I'm going to read you some Bob Iger quotes. Uh, yeah. We managed as an industry to negotiate a very good deal with the Directors Guild that reflects yes. the value that the directors contribute to this great business. Love. How, would love. Can we get some directors on to talk about how they feel about their historic deal today? We wanted to do the same thing with the writers, and we'd like to do the same thing with the actors. There's a level of expectation that they have that is just not realistic. And they are adding to the set of the challenges that this business is already facing that is, quite frankly, very disruptive. Who... Who should bear the blame for the catastrophic decisions he and his C-suite executives have made? I don't know. Who, who should suffer for that? I, I think if you look at the larger arc of American... Dr. Henry Jones, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. 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 If you look at the larger arc of American capitalism, then yeah, it's the people at the bottom of the food chain who suffer for it first. That's, that's a tale as old as time. But look, there's a lot, there's a lot on the table here. Yeah. And I think that now that there are two... Uh, that actors and writers are out... I think everything gets shaken up. The whole snow globe gets jumbled, and I don't know what it means. I think that the article you were referring to from Monday said that they were going to bleed the writers until they cried poverty in October and then magnanimously accept them back to the table and fuck them over. Mm-hmm. The fall deadline still seems likely to me. Like, that still seems like, like when— fall deadline to get not stuff. Deadline. Well, there's, like, there's, an, like, there's a sort of uh, unofficial deadline to get anything on as a mid-season replacement on broadcast, right? Oh, I mean, I'm not even... that. That's gone. Okay. Like, they're screwed. So, like, we and, will not get an Abbott Elementary season, for instance. Well, I don't know if you won't get a season. I mean, if you remember the, the last strike, which lasted longer than this one did, but it was just a writer's strike, affected things in a way that, like, the second... I don't know if it's the second season of Breaking Bad was seven episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you got... Everything was reduced. I do think there will be some sort of television season, 23 to 24. I don't know how many episodes, and I certainly don't... Wouldn't speak to when it would start. Yeah. But the industry's stopped now. You know, I right. think that there was, this, there was a clock that was running in people's heads that said that they had enough content already banked to get them through whatever date they had marked on their calendar. But the thing that happens now is all of that bank content, no one's promoting it for you. Yeah, well, the actors are not going to do interviews. They're not going to support it. And that effectively can kill something. Many things that were in production, many of these productions being overseas because a lot of the big tent stuff happens yeah. in... England or Romania or whatever. Um, So Andor, House of the Dragon, um, I believe the the Kate Winslet show, The Palace, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like there's a bunch of stuff you can find an article on Deadline that kind of goes through. It's essentially like all the shows that we were looking forward to next year have paused, stopped, or or shut down production. Now that the WGA is out and now that the, the actors are out, I'm not sure exactly. Oh, I believe even industry was mentioned. Um, I, you know, I don't know if they finished their third season or not. But I, like, I don't think they finished it. We, could, we could, I'm sure we could get Conrad and Mickey to comment on it. Yeah. But they have not only, um, you know, the British actors, but like Mahalo is the star of the show, is certainly a member of SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a trickle-down effect now. I don't want to like lose the entire show to this, but... You want to get back to crazing for dinner? No, no. Uh, I do want to, but like... Well, Okay, so the so like the the actors and the writers are out. Should we, as a layperson, mm-hmm. view those two entities as a single negotiating block now? Uh, they are different guilds with different needs and different deals that were left that were walked away from and different goals. But I do feel that there's a lot of overlap and a lot of mutual support, and we'll be walking the lines together. 
And I think the shared goal is similar in that we're trying to get more transparency. We're trying to get more reward for success in an industry that has increasingly become opaque and doesn't share any information and doesn't provide residuals. And then the biggest one and the naughtiest one, apparently, considering how loath the studios have been to even discuss it, is AI. And, you know, that everyone's like, and Iger's like, the directors made a great deal about AI. Yeah, they get a fucking meeting because it's not bothering them yet. Right. It is terrifying for writers, but it is happening right now for actors. And I don't think that's really been understood um, by the powers that be how terrifying and horrifying that is. And I say this as someone who just saw Dial of Destiny. Um, so I don't know. There, there is not one. We're not all going to get together, sing Kumbaya, and sign something together. There are going to be different needs. and They're going to be negotiated, hopefully in good faith, once they allow negotiations to begin again. Um, and I don't know when that would be. But I do think there is strength in numbers. And I also do deeply believe, and I would have believed this even if I was just a layperson or a podcaster, you know, whose body was wasting away because I'd only had almonds for dinner for three nights. Like, this is the moment to do this. Yeah. I'm sorry, Bob Iger. I'm sorry COVID was inconvenient. But like, this is an existential moment because we see where it's going. And you don't just say, oh, no, we trust you. Yeah. Because they yeah. broke, they've already broken the business. So how is anyone supposed to have a career in it? Speaking of AI, uh, it is pretty cool when you open Instagram and like the AI voice is like on every Instagram video now. Have you noticed that? I have my sound off. So it's just like, everybody is talking about girl dinner. It's the <laughs> biggest, latest craze in dining. <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I'm developing like a parasocial relationship with you. Is this Blade Runner? <laughs> Tell me all about chickpeas. Are they coming for podcasts next? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so too. I hope so, yeah. It'd be a relief. Um, Ironically, yeah, uh, or hilariously, right. In the midst of all this, the Emmys get not uh, nominations Wait, get announced. Do you want? Well, I almost feel like we should do indie because I think it's connected. It's all connected. That's what we've learned by doing this podcast. That's what we've so learned long. from the Steven Soderbergh series, Full Circle, yeah. which we'll also be talking about. <laughs> it's all connected. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? Like, because I I feel like you enjoyed this movie more than I did. I did. Yeah, but. I actually have a broader question for you about life itself um, oh, when it comes to this. Is, okay. Have you found, like, so you did not like Dial of Destiny. I mean, I I don't want to be hyperbolic, yes, you know, you and I think that people generally think of me as like a positive, no, like, they don't. good time guy. Yeah, okay. My main takeaway leaving the theater yesterday was that we are a diseased and necrotic culture addicted to feasting on uh -huh. its own excrement. And we're doomed. Have you? I mean, that, that was just like my broad strokes. When is the last time strokes. you've been like, that was okay? Like About, anything. Not, I loved it. It's the best thing that came out this year. It's the best thing that's been released in five years. Or we are feasting on the necrotic culture mm -hmm. of our own excrement. Is that what you just said? The other day, I had some uh, uh, jarred white beans and some arugula. And I made, Kai, you might be interested in this, but I made like a delightful sherry vinaigrette that really was only a few steps. And I was like, this is fine. That was the last time. No, I mean, like... When it comes to art. Hijack? Hijack? Hijack, thank you. <laughs> yes. God, you saved me. I actually didn't have an answer. Yeah. I really think Hijack is fine, and I'm enjoying it a lot, and I don't want any more from it. And I'm going to watch the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Hijack. Anything else come to mind after that? Or? No, that's no. it. Just Hijack. No, but because there is a way to have engaged with uh, the fifth Indiana Jones movie and be like, that was a movie and that was two and a half hours mm -hmm. and it could have been worse. That's okay. I think, am I the, I think we can do better. 
No, but, I, I think but I also think that this could not be better. And I and I also think that there are two active conversations to have about it. One, the merits of the film itself, which I'm happy to talk about in a non-hyperbolic way. But I also think the larger trends, cultural trends of it, are deeply disturbing. Okay. You know, in in, in that... And I they, feel like and they, we have done that recently yeah, on this I'm not, podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to so go I big. Want, but I want to give you the space to do it. I'm not going to go too big. I just think that it is connected to the Bob Iger thing. Who Bob Iger is in his 70s and Kathy Kennedy in his, or is in... Go, it, go off, Kate. And, and this is they spent $300 million making a movie about a character that hasn't been good or compelling to the culture in 35 years. And who, why? Because I guess because during the years that it was in pre-production and production, they could say they were doing something, that they were, everyone was like, oh, of course they're making another one because the people who write the trades and who do podcasts are like, I recognize the the, the valency of this currency. Yeah. Because otherwise, why? You why? think they did it because of podcasters? <laughs> yes. No, I think the most interesting thing about this movie is that at some point in the next, like if we survive the next 10 years, someone will write like a really compelling think piece in the Atlantic being like, at that moment in American history, it was important to lionize an 80-year-old. <laughs> it's true. And make it seem like he's real, real up for whatever and can fight. Um, that's the only interesting thing about it to me. I was just, I was stunned by it. And I say, by the way, I'm going to go see MI Dead Rex like ASAP. I'm going to go see that and I sure. cannot wait. Yeah. I'm not saying I am out on mainstream sequel entertainment. No. I just thought this was just shockingly bizarre. What kind of expectations did you walk into this thing? Because you mentioned that he's not been relevant for 35 years. I, I take it you're not a Crystal Skull fan. No. Um, but also... But, but or are you like an Indiana Jones fan? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love those movies. Yeah. I don't think they're just okay. I think they're great. Um, but also, I think it's okay to stop with things. And I don't know what it's serving to have an 80-year-old Indiana Jones, who then also in the movie can still jump out of airplanes and punch everyone and get shot yeah. and be fine. Yeah, There's no humanity in any of this. And the thing about the character that was always so compelling was that he was, he's an archaeologist, right? <laughs> like, he isn't yeah. Tom Cruise riding a motorcycle off of a cliff. Uh, I mean, he's pretty active. He leads an active lifestyle yeah. for a senior. Yeah, That's true even in Last Crusade. I would say the amount of time spent in the classroom in the Indiana Jones films is minimal. It's about the amount of time I spent in the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Although that classroom scene in Les Crusades is great. Yeah. Uh, I liked all the New York stuff in okay. Dial of Destiny. Spoilers for Dial of Destiny, I suppose. Um, I thought some of these set pieces, if you adjust for the fact that everything is pretty much CGI now and everything is going to be taking place inside of a mm -hmm. volume or green screen-like environment where nothing seems real and everything seems lit with an Ikea desk lamp, like, I thought like the the was it the tuk tuks in in Morocco like that chase was kind of yeah. neat See, and I, inspired. I, I thought I, I thought that stuff's really boring because they're all the same. There's always a train yeah, fight. There's always a motorcycle. The Indiana thing. Jones movies. There's some long ass chases in those movies. I totally will admit that. And our our appetite and our rhythms for action scenes have changed dramatically over the last. 30, I was thinking 40 about years, that a but, lot because Raiders is essentially the blueprint for something exciting happens every nine minutes. Mm -hmm. And that never lets the audience get bored. Mm -hmm. And now I think we require something exciting that happens every 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. uh, so watching a film like Dial of Destiny that sort of subscribes to somewhat older rhythms, which even in of themselves were hyper for that time period, it's kind of, I'm like, oh, Christ, like, I guess our brains really are coming out of our ears. For what it's worth, and I, this is probably the least relevant take, I don't think anyone had this particular zag, but I was like, in the three quiet moments of the movie, I thought Harrison Ford's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. He's great. He's a 
icon and a legend and brilliant on screen. And when they let him be a human in the movie, he was pretty good at it. Um, but otherwise, he's just, so, whether it's CGI or not, it was just, take away my hyperbole about the specific movie. It is not a healthy entertainment environment right. to spend this much money on this and get this result and have it be what it is. You know, make a good movie. I, I dare you. <laughs> make a good movie. Yeah. And then worry about its obligation to the expanded cinematic universe and everything. Because there is a wrongheadedness here that does worry me. Because we won't say any more about Dial of Destiny, but it to to walk away from this movie and feel like it it was a it had an emotional ending or closure, mm-hmm. you would have to be deeply invested in an Indiana Jones love story that began in 1981. Yeah, there is no point of entry here for anyone who didn't know anything about that. But it, we we've talked about this before. Is the the mere nerve sensation of recycling or referencing something that's happened in the? I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but like they're so they're making they're shooting Deadpool three right now. Yeah, and a story came out that Jennifer Garner, who played Elektra in one of the most reviled yes. like superhero movies of all time, is going to play Elektra in Deadpool three. One of the biggest pieces of mis- of poor casting. Too. Yeah, and. It's now we have got kind of crossed the Rubicon where it's like, oh, it doesn't matter. As long as it is in reference to something that happened in the past, people can feel like completists and draw like these little connections I, to it. I just don't know who those, why are we only making movies for those people? And, and yeah. I think the Top Gun thing is an interesting um, comparison because Top Gun, what you were feeling, the, f- the feelings of familiarity were to the first Top Gun in terms of the way it made you feel and the type of storytelling it was employing. It didn't matter if you knew that Jennifer Connelly's character is the one who is referred to in a throwaway line in the first movie. Right. That did not matter to your understanding of the film or your enjoyment of it. And in fact, you know, the the things about the Top Gun Maverick movie that were like overly cynical or calculated to me were the the villains are just faceless video game antagonists so that this movie could play in any era. That made sense mm-hmm. to do because that's not what the movie was about. Maybe it's a one of one because maybe Tom Cruise is a one of one. But like, and look, the CGI indie thing, the AI indie thing was fucking freaky. <laughs> because I think you said this yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, they scraped his performances from the eternity of, of, of Harrison he, Ford he, as Indiana Jones' performance. But he talks like an 80-year-old man. Yeah. yeah. This isn't great. Like, this just isn't good. This isn't a good trend, so, and it's not making good stuff. And I, and, I, and I don't think I'm the crank on the hill saying that. I didn't say that. I no, was no, just, I'm, I'm speaking I was to future more criticisms. like when you texted me yesterday and you were just like, LOL, we are a diseased culture. I think that's what you said. Did I try that takeout on you then? No, I mean, everything is, you know, we just move from the private to the public, you know? Uh, <laughs> but I think I was like, yeah. huh. You know, I think when you were like, I'm going to see Indiana Jones. I was you like, were excited. Way, way to go, my guy. Because you are, people should know that I let you know what I'm doing at almost all times. And I said, I said, good for you or something like yeah. that. And then you, you were like, I am deeply appalled and nauseated by the state of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's just not how I felt watching that I movie. I just feel too much. But I also wonder whether, you know, I, I you and I are different guys, you know? I, I, I think that there's, I legitimately do want to separate the point that like, this movie didn't hurt anybody. There was a lot of goodwill <laughs> and like skill and talented talent that went into it. You know what I mean? I yeah. but, but what it represents and all of that effort going into this just cul-de-sac is so weird to me. 
that we are just so slavishly so what, devoted why to did old you, so, things, old brands, old people stewarding things to please old ideas and old familiar neural pathways is fucked. It just that that starts to worry me. I, I don't mean to ask you an unfair question, but you were the one who sort of associated the Raiders part or the Indiana Jones part yeah. with the first part of the conversation yeah. we had. So what is the labor movement in Hollywood going to do to fix that? Anything? To fix, well, first of all, um, we would protect <laughs> Antonio Banderas at all costs. That was the only other thing I wanted to ask you about, which was, that was him? You were yeah. serious about that? That's Antonio Banderas as a Greek fisherman or Spanish Spanish fisherman, yeah. And deep sea diver. He, he, he was great. Spoiler like, alert. I really love it when, <laughs> I really love it when people who are like, because he was, he's a, he's a beautiful man. He still is a beautiful man, yeah. but he is so ready to be just an, an old fuck in these movies. Yeah, I really appreciate that. What is the labor movement? I, I don't what have an answer. What is the connection for... between the first part of our conversation and the Dial of Destiny? I think that this is this is the battlefield. Uh huh. That this is what is being made. This is what the people in charge, the people who are saying we're the problem. This is what they are prioritizing. This specifically the Iger thing is that he's like the writers and actors are being unreasonable. When he is, you know, with promotion and everything, they spent half a billion dollars on this movie. Yeah. With these people after this larger acquisition of Lucasfilm, which just seems to be like, uh, you know, and look, Andor is the best show of the year. And we're going to talk about it last year. And it's, and it's nominated for Emmys. And I've said before that there are a lot of great, smart, talented people who work there who do their best work or try to do their best work every day. But if you look at the, the results, it is just tepid brand management. Yeah. Meaning like, finally, we get continuation of Willow's story. <laughs> They've already scraped that from the servers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. so, the, 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 I, for a second, I thought Willow was a character in Indiana Jones and I was just like, what the, what the fuck was Willow? <laughs> Willow was on the Nazi train at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was Wombat, you were thinking yeah, of, which Wombat. Is just, just flows off the, you know. Um, no, I, my, my, the reason I bring it up is because this we're being disruptive in this moment because look at what is look at where all the money is going and look at where the industry is going mm-hmm. and there are fewer and fewer opportunities for any kind of not just you could say fewer and fewer opportunities for careers but also fewer and fewer opportunities for original ideas to break through and again i say this with hopefully some humility which is like james mangold is a a list director, Great director. yeah the Butterworths like write major movie scripts. They yeah. do this shit. Yeah. These are sturdy, steady hands giving their all for something that I feel like maybe needed the common sense czar at day one being like, we sure? Like Bill? You maybe need, it needed Bill uh, executive producing <laughs> Dial of Destiny. <laughs> Why can't he wind up at Harvard? Maybe. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, what, I did, he didn't like the New York piece. But wait, before we get to the Emmys. I, just to say... We need, Chris, Yeah, we need to be okay letting go of stuff. That's what I think culturally. We need, pe- people need to do their job and then not be CEO yeah. anymore. Yeah. I think Indiana Jones can live as a wonderful character with movies that we'll have forever and then we can let go of it. And this constant circle jerking of reboots and multiversal storytelling and everything, just clinging desperately to everything. And I say this as news that, you know, the fucking Tron 3 is being filmed. It's like, it's Tr- Tron Aries, technically. I don't think it's called Tron 3. You water carrier. <laughs> you absolute. Yeah, I, I, we need to let, we just need to let go of stuff uh-huh. so something new can start. 
And I don't think, and I don't think I'm the bad guy for saying that. I don't think you're the bad guy. I just don't think it's just like Daddy Warbucks in his ivory tower is just like make me another Indiana Jones movie. And I it's do like, have an idea for an Annie reboot. Harrison Ford has been in Force Awakens, Blade Runner 2049, and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I think he's pretty interested in reviving the big roles of his career. I think private plane flying <laughs> is an expensive <laughs> hobby. Yeah, um, just saying. Takes two to tango. Yeah, it does. But we are also headed towards a place, and this also does connect to the strike thing, which is they don't need him to make Indiana Jones 6. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, nobody needs him to make Indiana Jones 6. Nobody needs Indiana nobody Jones movie, 6. But, but, you, but the larger point yeah. about, like, let's let's let go of this. I'm just I'm just trying to provide a balm. I... Look, my, I think I probably have even more extreme views about that kind of stuff than you do. Where mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm I'm ready to to go back to the '96 and just like let's make sex lies and videotape and leave it all fucking behind in the rearview mirror. So that you were like that until I showed you a picture of Hugh Jackman in Wolverine's iconic yellow suit, and you were like, "Let's go! <laughs> <laughs> this is everything to me." This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Do you want to talk about the Emmys? I do. Should I do the same segue I was going to do 20 minutes ago? Oh. It's ironic that all of this labor strife is happening when Hollywood does what it loves to do best, celebrate itself with some award shows. That was a good segue. I'm sorry I stepped on it. No, I I was happy to talk about Dial of Destiny. I just thought I didn't really have another one. So I thought I would use the old segue. I think that's fine. If anyone is still listening, (laughs) I'm sure they'll appreciate it. It's just Bob Iger. We have positive things to say at the end of this podcast. Bob Iger's on his treadmill since four in the morning listening to the watch. He's He's like, I can't believe I lost Greenwald. No, I feel like he's like, Greenwald said that I was a a rare executive with a creative touch. Um, That's the takeaway. Off the top, this show might not happen. Uh, so the, the Emmys typically are yeah. broadcast in September, I believe, right? Yep. And they'll probably be on strike in September. Yeah, I th- saw our uh, friend of the pod, Casey Bloys, did an interview because HBO has the most nominations in the drama. They have four of the slots in mm-hmm. the drama series, which hasn't happened since NBC in the early 90s. And even in that interview, he was. this happened yesterday before the strike was even official, the actor strike, and he was like, I don't think we'll have a ceremony. Yeah, until it's I mean, resolved. it's it's eleven a.m. Pacific on Thursday. I just saw an article where it's like Emily Blunt is like, if there's a strike, we're walking off, like we're walking out of the Oppenheimer premiere tonight. Boy, the movie must be that much of a slog, huh? <laughs>
Do you think that's what that's about? <laughs> no, I think because she's in solidarity, they're gonna they're gonna walk out. She rules. I love it. Uh, so they, some there's been some rumors that it's gonna happen in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, some rumors that it might happen in January. I love I love getting another award show in there in January. I don't know if when they're gonna have this. When they have it, it'll already have been like another four or five months of television. I don't know how that what that's gonna do to people's brains when they're like, which what season of White Lotus is this, and what season of but, Ted Lasso are we celebrating? But for what it's worth, I really do hope they delay it because we'll get into some of the specifics. Like there's so many worthy performers and and writers and directors who are nominated that it would be a bummer that yeah. they didn't get to have it. Would be it would be a shame if White Lotus and Succession <laughs> weren't. <laughs> properly recognized for yeah. that. No, I'm thinking about like 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 Eben from The Bear and the whole Bear crew I think were nominated. And I don't want to sound too cranky about this, but I think that... Being cranky on this podcast is a deal breaker. I think that this learned. is like... A, for the most part, like I, 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 I celebrate a lot of the nominations, especially mm-hmm. in the bigger categories like drama, but when you get down to the supporting performers, you're going to have to explain to me how something like this happens. Well, sure. Okay, so let's. What do you want to? Yeah, I'll do supporting. Uh, well, let's talk about the big. I mean, the, all right. Why don't we do the big categories, we'll and then b- I think best we drama can. series. Honestly, I have no. I, I'm not going to really argue about this. Andor, Better Call Saul, The Crown, House of the Dragon, The Last of Us, Succession, The White Lotus, and Yellow Jackets. That's a strong list. It's a really good list. Best comedy series. This is where you start to get into a little bit of uh, genre mm-hmm. discussions. But Abbott Elementary, Barry the Bear, Jury Duty. Probably one of the surprises of the night for sure or the, of the of the announcements. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel only murders in the building. Ted Lasso and Wednesday. So um, another really cool list. Mm-hmm. I you know Barry's comic delights are, are are up to be debated. Well, the bear as well. I mean, we are in yeah. this place. It really is half hour versus hour. That's the distinction at this point. But. And then the biggest, you know, the thing that's probably had the most kind of controversy about it as a as a category as things get moved from limited to mm-hmm. ongoing series, but the limited or anthology series nominations are for Beef, which I liked quite a bit, Dahmer, Daisy Jones and the Six, Fleischman is in Trouble, and Obi-Wan fucking Kenobi. That's wild. Yeah, that is wild to me. I mean, that that's a that was a limited or anthology series. So, I hope so. So, so it yeah. was correct <laughs> yeah. in where they placed it. That was a shocker. Yeah, so um, where I sort of started to really have some problems with this is Specifically in the supporting actor drama and supporting actress drama series. But okay, let me go through supporting actor in a drama series. F. Marie Abraham, The White Lotus. Nicholas Braun, Succession. Michael Imperioli, The White Lotus. Theo James, The White Lotus. Matthew McFadden, Succession. Alan Ruck, Succession. Will Sharp, The White Lotus. Alexander Skarsgård, Succession. Hmm. How does that happen? What's your point? What, how does that happen? <laughs> Um, did people only watch two shows? Yes. I mean, that's fucking pathetic. It's a mess. I mean, so, okay, there's a couple things to say. One, this year, because it is now clearly an ongoing, the White Lotus category jumped. So it is now in the drama series, um, forcing out other potentially worthwhile nominees um, in the process. I think that one of the strange things about this moment, almost maybe unanticipated things about this moment of extreme peak TV, which I think we will not return to these heights, but you know, there's a count that it was 300 shows a year, 400 scripted shows, 500 scripted shows a year. One of the results of that explosion is, I think, a narrowing of people's not just viewing habits, but of their interest in pursuing viewing habits. People watch what they like. And it's almost as if the sheer quantity serves as a permission slip 
that you don't have to hunt around in the margins to the way the degree that you used to. So voting for these things becomes just checking boxes. Yeah. It's bizarre, but it is also not possible both from a, you know, an actor's point of view or even the the SAG point of view. You, the show couldn't say we're only putting Will Sharp and Michael Imperioli up for this award. You know, we're not going to we're not going to Why not? Well, the actors have every right to like submit themselves. Sure. to be considered. And so you know, that you enter into these strange things where it's not like, like Alan Ruck, I don't think has been nominated before and deserves it. Um, I mentioned- Everybody Will. deserves it. Everybody's yeah, really yeah, but, good in this. I just mean like as a competition and as like a, no, a celebration it, of totality of television, it just seems we should We shouldn't be narrowed to this degree. Yeah. I think that year after year when we've done it on the podcast or even when I was writing about it for Grandland, I, I, I'm generally, though I think award shows are silly, the Emmys have generally done a fairly good job of representing the enormity and the scope and the abilities of the people who are working on TV. And one of the ways that they did that was in these, they're not marginal categories, but slightly off to the side categories like supporting. Mm-hmm. You would get surprise people or if um, a show wasn't nominated or couldn't break through, maybe a special performer would make, you know, and this wasn't a supporting category, but I think about Rami, Yusuf from Rami getting nominated a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, you can make he noise. He, I think he, he won. Yeah, that's increasingly not the case because it has become celebrity driven. A big name will push things forward. I, I, I couldn't quantify how much Ewan McGregor playing Obi Wan Kenobi means that that got is the reason why it got nominated because mm-hmm. both Ewan McGregor is famous and but the name Obi Wan Kenobi is a lot more famous. It does seem like there's a lot of that. Just like I like Succession, so I'm just going to save myself some time and just check it all the way down the line. In Best Actor and Actress, you have a little bit more, well, not that much more, but some some more uh, variety in in the drama series. Jeff Bridges for The Old Man, which I think you and I thought his performance was quite good, but yeah. like kind of fell off on that series after a couple of episodes. Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin from Succession, Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul, Pedro Pascal from Last of Us, and Jeremy Strong from Succession. You know, uh, I, I, I don't know how the voting really like operates in this, but is there any outside chance that all these people cancel each other out and Jeff Bridges or Pedro Pascal win? Yes. Or Bob Odenkirk, for that matter? Probably not, because nobody watches Better Call Saul. There's right? a chance, though. Yeah. I think that that is definitely what some of these people are, are banking on. I think it's a weird... This is a weird list to talk about, because and you said it a moment ago. I don't have... A, I have almost no issues with the people who are nominated. I would have liked more diversity in terms of the shows they were pulling from and the people that were nominated, mm-hmm. but this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I... Remember, like, like we just mentioned Emily Blunt. Like, Emily Blunt in the English was one of my favorite performances and one of my favorite shows of last year. I didn't come into this with any illusions that it was going to be nominated because yeah. barely anyone saw it. I continue to look at it and say, like, well, Daisy Jones and the Six was pretty good. And I'm really glad that Riley Keough got, a nominated, yeah. got nominated yeah. and that people noticed it, even though it wasn't a big hit. I think it's awesome that Dominique Fishback got nominated. I think it's, it's awesome huge. that Andor got nominated. I mean, there's definitely some, like, cool... Fleischman in Trouble was really good, and it was it was celebrated as well um but it, it is a it's weird it's there's there's no no other way around it it's yeah. weird and it, and it is notable notable that even within succession there was some interesting jockeying right where where both kieran and sarah snook put themselves up in lead, lead. which had not been the case right it all worked out and Every, brian cox who Spoiler for Succession, if you are listening to Let's just say he's not in the full season. Yeah, he's only in three episodes. Um, Two, really, right? worked out for all of them. Yeah. So, I mean, in the show, we love the show. But it is interesting. I, I, 
I think things like the bear getting as many nominations as it did in both in writing and directing and Jeremy Allen White and Evan Moss Backrack and in Iota Berry getting nominated, that isn't as that isn't as fait accompli as it would seem. If you were listening only to this podcast, you would be like, of course, all the, they were all nominated. And by the way, this is all for season one. Yeah. It's why the season two, I mean, among many reasons, but season two did not even try to compete in that window because, well, actually, I guess, yes, for this year. So season two will be in, they've, they have, they've timed, they've figured out the windows. I don't need to give FX advice on that. But that show still is unlikely. And these are not huge stars, and they are being recognized because people really genuinely loved it. So I think that's a good thing. But it, but And Sharon Horgan getting nominated for yeah. Bad Sisters, Bad Sisters getting nominated. You still do see some signs of life that people are watching things or that some consensus is bubbling up. But broadly, it is a very weird moment that there is more TV than ever, but we are hyper-focused only on some of it, yeah. and the rest of it is just chaff. Yeah, and it might be that there is so much that the the voting is getting widely dispersed and you have these two sensations in White Lotus and Succession and that's why they hoover up. I mean, look, the Emmys have always been monopolized. You know, obviously Modern Family is like a mm-hmm. historic run of wins. I think, you know, Mad Men obviously racked up a bunch, right? Like, you know. Eventually, yeah. Eventually, West Wing was an, a, like won so many Emmys that the cast like started talking about not going because mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, we're going to sweep the Emmys again. Like, it's definitely like one of the stranger shows. And I think also it throws people off a little bit the way that they are still on the fall spring. That's how they like the, mm-hmm. the show window for nominations is, is essentially still May to May. Uh, and I, you know, most people don't view the TV season in that, in that kind of way. Couple questions for you year. about perceived snubs, or if you think they're legitimate snubs or surprises, sure. let's say from like for me to keep it in FX for a second, what we do in the shadows consistently, just a very funny comedy did mm-hmm. get nominated for two seasons. It's first two seasons did not get nominated or second and third, I guess did not get nominated for this past season. Maybe just because there wasn't room because everyone was laughing at Barry to your point. Um, Atlanta. I was surprised. Shut out. Yeah. All of it. Two seasons worth. Yeah. Shut out. Um, part of the reason for that might be that there were two seasons worth. Yeah, and the third season was was definitely like a challenge. I think mm-hmm. for the the average viewer, we should say that Donald Glover was not shut out because he had a story by credit on Swarm. I yeah. think which was nominated in writing. Um, I I'd also would love to give you an opportunity to talk about the Sheridan piece. Um, <laughs> that the man most responsible for popular television, <laughs> old girl dinner over there, guy <laughs> cracking up at your little t- Taylor Sheridan dig. Go ahead, get it off your chest. I'm just it's saying, almost lioness season. I'm just saying he's responsible for television that America really, really likes. Yes. And I think it got like some special There's effects. There's a very or... funny Yellowstone joke in the, in the new justified coming oh, yeah? up. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. But he gets, he gets shut out. Uh, All the shows get shut out, including like Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford. I was pretty out. surprised that nothing from 1923, that 1923 did not get recognized. Those shows are also like pretty big hits. Yes. I don't know if you've been following the way they have basically been riding 1883 throughout this summer where they keep airing it in marathons on Paramount Network. Yeah, they moved it from the streamer to the network where it just continues to reap yes. huge dividends. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm very surprised, although I do get the impression that he is sort of a man apart when it comes to hashtag this town. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think we are now past the point. It, 
I could be 100% wrong about this, but my my sense is we are past the point where there's like coastal distaste for these shows. I mean, most people that I know in Hashtag This Town watch some of his shows and enjoy most them. Most people, one person in this room watches, yeah. Kaya, <laughs> Tulsa queen herself. Um, so I don't think it's that. I do think it's that he is essentially an industry unto himself. Yeah. And does not, and I'm not saying this to suggest he does anything untoward or wrong, he does not play ball. And he does not engage with any part of the apparatus that, that works here. One right. other thing I would just mention briefly uh, as an observation about all the nominations, and we can get into full circle uh, in a second, is just that I do not think the crashing everything in before the Emmys deadline is working. You look around and notice things like, um, and did the great get nominated at all? I don't think I, so. I think it didn't this year, which is a surprise. It had been. And You're right. And they crashed that in. Literally, as I was saying that, I had another show that was an example and I forgot. So because they're because t- they're too many. No, it was just another one of these things where it's just like, oh, you're trying to rush this thing to air. Elizabeth Olsen is another example of somebody like a, that's a show that kind of I, I feel like was very much made to get awards notoriety. Yes, and yeah, it it doesn't. Some of the old calculus just doesn't work anymore. Like HBO greenlighting this series, you know, well covered terrain. Candy had already come out, but they get a star, they get David Kelly, they put it all mm-hmm. together. Now. This is a cynical framing of it because I think that the people at HBO were like, we believed in this project and the creative spin on it. Yes. Yeah. And that's all true. But they also, to your point, rushed it into production. Yeah, to well, get it's also it just like when it airs, reason. you know, and making mm-hmm. sure everything, all this stuff gets up at the at the last second before and then we all sort through it. And it just doesn't seem like that's an effective way to drill this into people. The, the other thing that I wonder is the White Lotus thing is a little strange because it is clearly an ongoing series and they're making season three in Asia and at least one returning cast member, Natasha Roth. I believe they moved the, it's, I saw a note in all the, mm-hmm. the things about like productions that were being paused or mm-hmm. moved or shut down that they are shooting it in Thailand. I, yeah, I think that's been announced. So it's not Japan. No. Okay. But that said, like, I don't think Megan Fahey and Sabrina and Pachatori are coming back necessarily, or at least coming back in season three. And it is interesting that you could make some might argue that you can do more with a limited arc. Right. You have more opportunity to do a lot of big, broad things if you really... I mean, they're only doing one season, but they're being put up against people who have been doing steady work. Like Sarah Sarah Goldberg from Barry is, would have been in a different category. Yes. But she has been consistently amazing year to year. She was not nominated this year. Um, I, so that's not a good one-to-one, I imagine. And and this year, actually, Ray Seahorn finally was nominated yes. for Better Call Saul, which is a good thing. But I think there might be some some actor quibbling about those sorts of things. But they were all good, so it's hard to argue. Does Andor have a chance? No. Okay. Um, but Andor got nominated, and, and our guy Tony did not get nominated. Only Bo Williman got nominated for writing, <laughs> which is funny, but... Andor um, got nominated. That's important. That's to me. cool. It's great. They when, they when they bring it back and they can see the Emmy nominated series returns. Yes, and they should. And I hope they look at why it was good. Yeah, and make more of the things <laughs> like that. That's my advice, Hollywood. Briefly before we get out of here. Oh yeah, we're not really so we like hijack, but we're not going to do more today. Well, I think we can do three episodes of hijack, like, and then we'll do like a check in. I'll do three episodes of hijack this afternoon, <laughs> and um, three episodes of I think Drops the fourth of God, one which just I really came like. up. The fourth one just came out. We're right about to get into a couple of really important shows coming out, though. We've got Full Circle mm-hmm. from HBO Max, uh, which is the new show from Steen Soberg. That's coming out tonight. Two episodes, I believe, are being released tonight. And then next week is Justified City Primeval based on the Elmore Leonard novel, bringing the 
Raylan Givens' character back, but putting him in an entirely different setting outside of Harlan uh, and putting him in Detroit. Uh, Andy and I have both read that book. It's pretty ridiculously awesome. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the embargo is lifted or whatever, but I'm happy. I'll put it that way. I think that's important. Uh, Boyd Holbrook plays the villain in this show. I didn't shop Boyd Holbrook in Dial of Destiny. He was real good. Yeah, he was real good in Dial of Destiny. So full circle. Rocks. It's so good. And I just wanted to take a second to talk about Steven Soderbergh before we get into the show itself. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to talk about the show in a kind of a preview capacity to encourage you to watch it. Yeah. We're not really going to spoil things. I don't know if it matters if we do, but yes. Go uh, for it. It's, uh, we could just set it up in the most broad, the broadest of, uh, of, of strokes, but Steven Soderbergh has been on a decade plus run since his fake retirement of making some of the most probing and insightful and confrontational and transgressive art about class and race in this country. Mm-hmm. And no one talks about it. Or like, not no one talks about it, but it's just kind of flying under the radar. From High Flying Bird, mm-hmm. No Sudden Move, to this, he, to Laundromat, he routinely confronts like real shit that is affecting real people in the world in a wildly creative way. His style is now like almost indescribably his own, both from the lighting uh, to the fact that he is essentially a self-contained industry himself where he's like shooting and editing the day of. He's doing the camera operating. He's editing it in the car on the way home from set that day. And it's just, it's really something to behold. Uh, to see this body of work. I think when you see any one piece of Steven Soberg stuff over the last 10 years, you would be forgiven if you're like, that's that seemed a little bit slight or there seemed to be something maybe, there there was just not enough sweat expelled mm-hmm. over it because it just doesn't, it feels like he has gotten so good at making the movies and the shows that he wants to make. And some of them are not as successful as others. Like Mosaic, I did not think was like mm-hmm. as I agree. successful. And I think it was made as an experiment in the first place. But um, I, I would take the best work that he has done and put it up against anybody else's last decade. And most people would look at this as a weird decade for him. You know, he has had times where he has been at the center of the culture when he was making Ocean's Eleven and Aaron Brockovich and Traffic. In the previous decade. Yeah. And now he's kind of a little bit off on a margin and he's finding different ways to express himself. And, you know, you talked about when you're talking about Dial of Destiny and like the necrotic corpse of culture, like this is the person who is just like gives me, makes me want to wake up in the morning me and too. then like do this. And I, and I think he, it's not fair to say more people should or could be like him. He is kind of one-on-one because he has won Oscars. He has played by the rules back when there were a different set of rules. Um, and he is just uniquely motivated and talented. But what the career that he's crafting for himself is kind of inspiring because you could, there, there are so many other versions of talented filmmaking where like a Todd Field or something who struggles, who makes commercials so he can support his life and then struggles for over a decade to make a statement movie and mm-hmm. to make something as worthwhile in my mind as Tar. There are countless dozens, hundreds of filmmakers who play ball to varying degrees and do their time in this in the franchise trenches or in the MCU or whatever. And one for them, one for me, or try to make that work. And I totally understand why people, anyone would do that. Soderbergh is just so ravenous and so interested in people and life and moving and seeing things and looking deeper and going that you can't look at one project on its own. You have to look at it, I think, as what you're suggesting as part of a larger body of work. I forgot to mention that he's having Kimmy, which came out last year on Max and starred Zoe Kravitz and is basically like a Hitchcock COVID thriller, but is also about, I think, being alive in 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 late capitalism. And then also 
Let Them All Talk, which is this I really beautifully like observed chamber piece set on a, a cruise line with Meryl Streep and Candace Bergen and Lucas Hedges. And it's just incredible. And and the thing about Full Circle, like I, I feel like I, I'm I was trying to scan like what some of the early reaction to it is. And it's it's a little bit it can be a little bit confusing in its in its plot. It can be a little digressive. There are aspects of it that maybe don't work or don't sing, at least in the early going. But I think you got to throw that away and be like, I'm engaging with something here. Yeah. I'm engaging with Steven Soderbergh, a filmmaker, and Ed Solomon, a veteran screenwriter who's done everything from Bill and Ted to uh, he no did Sun Mosaic, Move. He did No Sun Move. More yeah. recent things with Soderbergh. Yeah. And they're interested in things. And that's something that is so missing, I think, from a lot of the culture that we're receiving these days. So this is a kidnapping, interconnected crime it, Broadly, s- like you story. could say, I don't think it's based on, but it, if you've seen the Akira Kurosawa film High and Low, it is not unlike mm-hmm. that, that sort of setup where there is a kidnapping of a well-to-do family's child and then everything kind of spins out from there. Now, you could just be like, Steven Soderbergh could probably make a great two-hour movie that mm-hmm. is essentially high and low, but him being Steven Soderbergh and him playing within the sandbox that Max has given him and whatever, it's a six-episode show, he is going to go, first of all, it's just entirely on location, and he's running around New York City running and gunning. I, I don't think he shoots with an iPhone anymore, but it feels like when you get into some of the locations that he's in, that it's just him in there with an iPhone. Mm-hmm. So it feels real, and it feels Imme- unlike immediate. any other show mm-hmm. like that. It's not Vancouver as New York. It's not Toronto as New York. It's not Atlanta as New York. It is shot in New York. Uh, and then it brings in... It's like this great kind of head fake because I think if you just watch the trailers, you think that this is a show about Claire Danes and Timothy Oliphant and Dennis Quaid and some secrets that they have between each other. But then there's this whole other thing. Like, honestly, CCH Pounder might be the star of the show Mm -hmm. as this essentially matriarchal crime lord of a Guyanese Guyanese immigrant family family slash underworld who is trying to correct a decades long basically run of bad luck and 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 slights against her family by doing by by being involved in this kidnapping. I don't want to give away too much, but that's all essentially you can get that from the trailer. But to your point, like there are pieces here that are familiar in terms of storytelling in terms of a Kurosawa film that has been remade and reimagined multiple times. One of the major differences here is that they looked at the game board and they were like we're not going to play with the same pieces. Yeah. Um we're going to talk about Guyana and we're going to talk about an immigrant community in parts of Brooklyn that we that we as audience members are not that familiar with and have not seen before. We are going to talk about um, celebrity chefdom. Yeah. And we're going to let Dennis, Dennis Quaid, Quaid plays a, like a Mario Batali, Rick Bayless kind of like, yeah. With a ponytail. Yeah. And he's just like, Dennis Quaid's great. And it always. And now it's like, okay, now you can act. Like, let's go for it. You're not going to be the matinee idol in this. You're an older guy and you're going to, you can have some, you can have some fun. Um, Zazie Beats, whom I love always, is the quote unquote she's Humphrey Bogart cop character yeah. detective, but she's a postal inspector, and her boss is Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, and Jim Gaffigan has one scene in the pilot where he just eats a Trader Joe's burrito, for the, and then like kind of belittles her. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, it, the show is alive, yeah. and it's alive with interest and curiosity, and who knows what it's going to end up being, or even if it's going to all come together, but sometimes it's not about that. There's also, at the center of the series, is a performance from Claire Danes that is the first time in a long time that she has not played somebody who's pushed to like the very extremes of like 
behavior or as in Fleischman or yeah, Homeland. Fleischman or Homeland, right? And so it's been a minute since she's played somebody who obviously has a lot of secrets herself, but is like essentially like a normie going through like everyday life. So uh, we should also shout out Gerald Jerome, who's having a hell of a year. Holy shit! What's up with that guy? Like he's just like he's he's in <laughs> I Am Virgo. Yeah, we we have not talked about yeah. I'm a Virgo yet, which we both started to check out and both really, we have a lot of time for it. I'm going to watch more. I'm really interested in it. That's the Boots Riley show yeah. that's on Amazon. Uh, Jarell Jerome is the star of that as a giant. Yes. Uh, and then he is essentially the like, the wild card kid who's wants to be more than what he is in, in the crime family. He's also in Cross the Spider-Verse. Yes. I don't know if you knew that. Yes. I just feel like contractually obligated to point that out. So he's having a great year. He's having a fantastic. I mean, it's, I, we we I, I cannot recommend this show more highly. It's got two episodes going up tonight on Thursday on Max. I really hope people check it out. It's I can imagine people watching and being like, "This is weird," or like, "What's what's the deal with this show?" The deal with this show is it's being made by an individual artist with a unique point of view, and that's yeah, what happens it, sometimes. Is like, it's it's complicated and it's funny in places you weren't expecting, and it's sad in places you weren't expecting, and it's messy. Yeah, and 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 it's also a very dense crime story. So I think you and I are pretty used to those. And you'd be like, oh, wow. So we're going to do insurance scams now. Okay. Like, and mm-hmm. keep going and going and going, but stick with it. It's, it's really awesome. But I think just to bring things, if I may, <clears throat> full circle, this is an antidote to some of the stuff we were talking about at the beginning. It's not a perfect one-to-one. It's not, it's not cause and effect, but I, I am not as despairing as I may have seemed walking out, blinking into the harsh sunlight, um, feeling like these really are end times yeah. for the American experiment like I was yesterday. Good things can still happen. I would just like to see a playing field where these good things can become the norm. Just the postal inspectors as you beat Slither are eating a gyro but, but, <laughs> outside of but, Washington Square Park. I would, but also I would like James Mangold and the Butterworths to make a movie they want to make. Yeah. So that's, that's the America I believe in. All right? Will Bob Iger give it to us? I don't know. Will... Ron and Casey DeSantis gives to us. But you'll have, for that, you'll have to wait until Monday show. Thanks to Kai McMullen for, for producing us. I feel like this show may have been three hours, but, it, you know, we got to cool, give the people what they want. And also, I don't think people realize that for all of the hours we've been doing this podcast, you've just been locked in eye contact. Have just I been staring, doing that? Just focused. Because this is when we do our best <laughs> oh, work. Oh, well, I'm not looking at Twitter while I talk to you. Is that because you've moved to threads? <laughs> Thanks, Kaya. Thank you to everybody for listening. 